could get cloudy. And I, and I feel like I'm coming out of it and uh, just uh, feeling like the Lord is uh, speaking to me again freshly, and I'm excited. But these next two weeks, we are going to be in Second Chronicles. I'm going to share a little bit out of uh, Second Chronicles, Chronicles chapters 1 through 6, just give you an overview, and then going to really spend some time in chapter 7. And then next week, we're going to um, talk about uh, after... Solomon uh, in chapter 7. We're going to talk about some of the kings uh, all the way to chapter 20. And we find out, and I don't know if you've done this, but I've gone through the Old Testament and it was just curious to me. I would go through and I would read on what king did what in the eyes of the Lord. There's several kings that did good and right in the eyes of the Lord, but there's a lot of kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I said to myself, well, what made them were they evil when they first started? And, and, and what I can find, and I probably need to do more studying, but they didn't start out with evil intentions. They started out with, with serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of their forefathers. But when power comes in, it kind of disrupts, and it kind of um, just, just changes people. And we see it in our culture today, that people... Uh, uh, Christians in, in high leadership positions, and, and that sometimes power changes them, and they start using it for, for their own benefit and their, their own uh, will, and, and we've seen ministries fall, and the ministries are being uh, shaken right now, and, and God is um, uh, just, I'm sensing in my heart that it begins with the house of God, and none of us are exempt to this, and so whatever position you have as a leader, or a person of influence, fall on the grace of God. Let the grace of God uh, be the mortar that holds your relationship together and, and realize that if he uses you, great. But also remember that he used an ass, right? A donkey. So he can use anything. And so don't get haughty that, okay, I prayed for somebody and they, 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 they got healed and different things like that. I'm amazed that God still wants to use us. I'm, I'm amazed that he talks about in 2 Chronicles 7, if my people. I, I'm amazed that he wants a people. I'm amazed that he wants us. I don't even want us. <laughs> Do you want you sometimes? With, with the, the junk and, 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 the, and the crud and the failures and the different things, he could do so much better without us. But he chooses not to. And if my people who are called by my name, boy, that's such an invitation, folks. And, and I'm just going to bring some, some, some uh, background to that. And, and really, I know we're familiar with this verse, but I want to plug in some context around it and, and also uh, kind of take us on a journey where I think he has us going these next couple of weeks. Because I don't want to get ahead of myself. In April... Uh, this, this coming April will be my, my second year anniversary of being your pastor, being installed here as your pastor. And thank you, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, and I've been here uh, since January on staff, but I was installed in April. And we've gone through a lot. We've faced a lot. We've had a lot of wins. We've had a lot of sorrows. Some have left. Many have stayed. New people have come. And God is just just being so good to us. Even in our, our, our failures and our shortcomings, he's, he's just so, so good to us. And it's no mystery to me that, it is a mystery to me that, that he continue wants to use us. And I'm grateful and I'm humbled that he wants to use us. But now that he wants to use us, let's get on with it, amen? Yeah. Let's be a part of it. And so what I'm going to be challenging you this morning is just some of the things that I've been, been sensing. So I want to give a little background with the first six chapters, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure all this out, but if you would with me, if you would read these first six or seven chapters in Second Chronicles to kind of give you a background of Solomon when he, you know, chapter one, where he asked God for wisdom. Remember, Solomon could ask for anything, anything at all, and he asked for wisdom. And not only God gives them wisdom and discernment, but he gives them everything. And then he starts the preparation of building the temple. He wanted to bring, build a temple where it would carry the presence of God. 
because like in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. We have our, this is a temple in the New Testament here. We are the temple of God, all right? And so the, his presence lived with us. But back then, he was building a temple to house his presence. And so in chapter 3, Solomon builds this temple. And, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, just a lot of stuff that goes into building this temple, bringing the ark back and just laying out the temple. There's a lot of particular um, uh, things that have to fall into place because God is really into details, and, and it didn't. Um, it did, there was no lacking of details in the temple here. So, chapter four, uh, after he builds the temple in chapter three, and chapter four, he furnishes the temple with all these different articles and the different things that that God had put in His heart to do. And chapter 5, this is, this is incredible. Chapter 5, the ark is brought back into the temple. Now, the ark symbolized what? God's presence. This was the very ark that, that was brought in, the covenant that God made with Israel. And the only thing that was in the ark when they brought it back into the temple were, who knows? The tablets. Yeah, not even this time. The Moses staff wasn't in there, but the Ten Commandments were in there because of the covenant that he made with Israel. And then after that, this is really interesting. In verse 11 of chapter 5, the priests, they withdrew from the holy place, and they were all uh, consecrated themselves regarded, um, uh, regardless of their division, their, their different uh, tribes. And then the musicians came in dressed in their fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, lyres, and they were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. Can you imagine that sound? And then the singers joined them in unison. And with one voice, they gave praise and thanks to the Lord. And accompanied by the trumbles, the, the trumpets, the, the cymbals, and the other instruments, they raised their voice and praised the Lord and sang, He is good and his love endures forever. Can you imagine that sight? Can you imagine that worship time with 120 trumpets blasting, cymbals, lyres, and then the people in one voice start to begin to sing and think because the, the presence of the Lord had come into their building. They, they were honoring, they, they were respecting the very presence of God that had, the ark was all over the place. Sometimes it was captured by the Philistines, sometimes it was taken away. But the very presence of God was brought back into the temple. And they were dedicating the temple. And they were singing, he is good, his love endures forever. And that, that, that phrase started in First Chronicles and it, it goes through, uh, uh, all the way through uh, Psalms, it, it's a, 11 or 12 times where it's put in there in Psalms, spends a lot of time on that phrase. Then we see it again in the New Testament. But after that, after the singing, then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests could not perform their services because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Amen. Thank you, Anissa. Amen. The priests couldn't do their duties because... The cloud filled the temple. The glory of the Lord filled this place. Have we been singing about holy, holy, holy? The glory of the Lord, the train of his robe filled this temple. Amen. Folks, he wants to do it again. And, and it begins with praise. It begins with worship. It begins with us singing as one voice. Giving praise and honor and worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so after that, can you just picture that? Well, as you read that throughout the week, just picture how beautiful this temple must have been on the outside. And then the glory of the Lord filling this place. What a church service they must have had. Because after that, Solomon in chapter 6 begins to pray a prayer of dedication to the temple. And, and, and I know we're familiar with 2 Chronicles 7, but actually 2 Chronicles 7 is the Lord's response to Solomon's prayer in chapter 6, where, where Solomon goes through and he's dedicating the temple and he's asking the Lord, uh, you know, if you're in heaven there and we do not keep your covenant, but if we come back to you, he keeps saying, if we, if we fall, if we, if we fail, if we come short, but if we turn back to you, will you take us back? Is basically what he's saying in this dedication. 
if we mess up, if we goof up, if we, if we sin, will you take us back? And the Lord answers it in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 11. This is his response. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do with the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, in his own house, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayers and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And then this is his response to Solomon's prayer that will you take me back? When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, and if my people, read it with me, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their lands. I know we're so familiar with that verse, but if you put it in the context that the Lord is responding to the very heart cry of Solomon. How many of you have had that prayer? God, I blew it, and I keep blowing it. Will you take me back? Will you take me back? And we live in a time of grace, and, but in the Old Testament, they had to do sacrifices and all these things. And so the heart cry of him is like, if your people fall short, will you take us back? And his response is, is, yes, if you will do what? Humble yourselves, pray, seek me, then I will hear. Folks, it's not that difficult, but man, man's pride gets in the way of this. And God's jealousy for us God's glory has no time for man's pride. This is a very covenant relationship. God is responding to his prayer. He's appearing to him, the encounter. He's, he's reminding him of his faithfulness, of the covenant that he established with Israel, all the way back to Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy lays out all the blessings and the curses. That if you follow me, if you keep my commandments, if you obey my, my, my standards, then I will bless you. But if you don't follow me and you don't keep my commandments, then there's consequences, even curses. So he's laid this all out. It's very rooted in his covenant relationship between God and Israel. Do you think God takes his relationship with you serious? Do you believe he takes that covenant pretty, pretty serious? Do you think we need to take it a little bit more serious in our eyes and not be so flippant that, you know, look like it's a marriage sometimes. Oh, I fell out of love with you. I don't love you anymore. We're not doing this anymore. We can't allow that to come in. The covenant that we've made with him and he's made with us is so important because I want to be his people. You ever hang out with a friend and they said, you're my people. You ever, I don't know if I'm Gen Z or something like that. He's like, hey. You're my people. You're my people. What they're saying is, I, I, I can hang out with you. I, I like being with you. God is saying that to you, to me. I want you to be my people, and I'll take you back. But I have so much more for you. I have my glory that I want to fill into every part of your temple to manifest it, to, to, to have it erupt out of your soul. Man, it should make you excited. It should stir up something inside of you. If my people were called by my name, it just refer, it refers to the nation of Israel, and it was written for the people of Israel, but it pertains to us as well, and it still holds a valuable, valuable lesson to us. See, God outlines these conditions for restoration. It begins with humility. You add prayer into that seeking his presence, and repentance. God-given repentance. A turning, a 180 from our wicked ways. I hear this, this phrase all the, all the time, oh, he's got a good heart, she's got a good heart. 
I don't know if I really agree with that. Because my Bible says that my heart is evil and wicked. I know what they're saying and I understand it. But we have to be so alert and aware that we need to get in God's presence and let his, his love and his mercy illuminate our heart to see if there's any wickedness in our, our heart. And let him expose it and say, God, I'm so sorry. Get that out of my heart. I want your glory. I want your glory. Do you hear him calling us, family, tire in him to get out of the way, get ourselves out of the way? This is why he's been spending so much time in, in consecration and, 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 and repentance and, and holiness and love, as I talked on last week. Because he wants to restore us. He wants us to walk in forgiveness. He wants us to be healed. And it will happen. I will hear from heaven. Forgive their sins and heal their lands. How many need him to hear you from heaven? Forgiveness of our sins. Heal our land. Repentance. We've been talking about that quite a bit. Genuine repentance leads to God's forgiveness and restoration. He's calling us higher. Do you hear that? Do you believe it? He just doesn't want you where you're at. He doesn't want me where I'm at. He doesn't want church to be where it's at. He has so much more for the church. And that's why he's attacking the church. The enemy's attacking the church and coming against his bride. Church, it's time to wake up. Turn away from our petty arguments, our disagreements, and focus on what matters, the gossiping. That's what we've talked about the last few weeks and what's been talked about over the course of the year. We have to change the culture of the church dynamics. Amen. Talking with somebody and they said, well, just, just, it feels like the backbiting and the gossiping is, is more than ever now. And I was like, it's not more than ever. It's just been uncovered. And God's exposing it. It's been an underlining thing, not just, I'm not just saying this church, but in church in general, where people love to talk about people. And we got to stop that. We got to cut it. Have you gone to that person? Come on, folks. We know better. Amen? Do we want to be different? Do we want his glory here? He is so pure. He's so holy that he cannot be... be he cannot come into a place that has sin and has undercurrents of, of Christian sins. Amen. These things that we, we, we say, well, you know, Lord, if you can just overlook this, my heart's in the right place. No, your heart isn't in the right place. Mine neither. If, if it's for my own motive and an ulterior motive other than seeing people saved and people healed and people touched by the glory of God, then, then your heart is wrong. Lord, can you just overlook this just this once? No. He is so pure, so holy, that he cannot do that for our own good. But he says, if you get this out of your life and let my glory come and fill this place, you won't even be able to serve me. You won't even be able to do things because my glory is going to be so heavy on you. Amen. Wow. And then out of that, you're going to you walk out of church and people are going to say, what happened to you? I've just been hit by the glory cloud. And I'm not getting all charismatic and Pentecostal. When God shows up, there's not going to be any explanation, was that God? And I don't want to be smelling like the world. I don't want to be looking like the world. I don't want, want, want people to come in here and leave the same way they came in. I don't want to leave the same way I came in. There's so much more for us to do. Church family. And then again, I read it earlier. I got ahead of myself. But 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14. The musicians, the trumpeters, they all sang in unison. They praised. They said, he is good. And his love endures forever. Found it three or four times in just 2 Chronicles alone. That the worshipers did this. And the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. 
Can you imagine just in your own quiet time just beginning to praise and worship and you feel his presence just fill you? That happens when you spend time with the Lord. His glory comes and everything else grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and love. Folks, we need to spend more time with him and less time at the gossip coffee hour. Boy, it got quiet. Want his glory to come, his glory to fall, to fill this temple. Father, just right now in Jesus' name, I ask that you reveal your glory to us. Even as he starts to illuminate things, and I want you to commit to this week to kind of going through this and asking God, is there any wickedness in my heart? Is there any wicked way? Lead me to the way everlasting. Because as we repent, the second part of this is to pray. Seeking God's face always is essential in a Christian's life. I know verse 14 wasn't directly written to us, but the principles still apply. When we seek his face, we, we see the wickedness that's in our heart. And we can even see, well, my intention was, was this, but man, I, I can see where I, my own motive got in the way here. We can't trust ourselves, folks. It's time to pray. I'm going to have the worship team come on up here. Because I want to kind of set up this week going into um, the worship night next week and the whole second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. And I appreciate my conversation with Todd Fowler who uh, kind of um, illuminated um, this whole thing with Jehoshaphat because I was already in chapter 7 and we just got to talking about something different, bacon and things like that and, and we were just talking about Jehoshaphat and I was like, hey, this, this really triggers something. So uh, I appreciate that, Todd. Lou Engel says this, we have taught a generation to feast and play, but the time demands that we fast and pray. There's a really good quote out there, and I, I, I'm not even going to try to give it justice. I wish I would have looked it up, but that, you know, strong men make does anybody know what I'm talking about there? Alex, do you know it off the top of your head if I'm putting you on the spot? There's like four things, a cycle. Chad? Strong men, strong men make easy times, yep. All right, why don't you run on up here and say that? <laughs> Come on, come on. See, if you volunteer for something, then I'm going to let you run with it. Okay. Say it again, Chad. This is so true. Like infinitely percent true because I'm from the generation he was just talking about where it's play, 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 and I used to do that, and it sucks, but now I'm growing out of it. Anyways, so uh, it's strong men make easy times. Um, easy times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Hard times make strong men keeps going in a circle, which we're seeing. So there we go. <laughs> yep. And I believe that we've been in a season in the church where times have been easy. And it's time to step up and become strong again and walk in our God-given calling and purpose. If my people, and then the second part of that, who are called by my name. Everybody in this church today you have heard the call and you're responding to it and as much as I love easy times and a good break here and there I believe that I've been put here on earth for a purpose to see the purposes of God fulfilled in my generation to see people get saved by the hundreds and the thousands and come in right relationship with Jesus Christ to know what I know to know what you know the people that haven't had one sin forgiven and they're looking all over the place and they're trying all this different stuff. 
What about them? Who's going to tell them? Napoleon. We're just watching this three-hour movie on Napoleon that just came out. What a weird guy Napoleon was. Short little guy, just kind of quirky, a little goofy, but very driven, very smart. And he was meeting with his top generals and trusted advisors, and he took his finger, and they had a map on the table, and he took his finger, and he's drawn it across, and he comes to this huge country called China. And he says this, he says, there lies a sticky, sickly, sleeping giant. When she awakes, the world will tremble. Let her sleep, he says. Because he didn't want to deal with that, and he went over to Russia, which he didn't do very well there either. But he was avoiding the sleeping giant because he did not want the trouble that that would bring. We could say that about China now, but I'm not going to get into it. Admiral Yamimoto, after he attacked Pearl Harbor, many of you know this quote. He says, I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and filled him with resolve, which is determination. The enemy is trying his hardest to keep us distracted and sleeping. But church, he is calling us to awake now for such a time as this. Because the enemy knows that he will be destroyed. Todd Smith writes in his book, Unless We Pray. And Todd, did you give me that book too? Or did, oh, Will, Will did earlier in first service. I've been reading in this book. I do read some of the books that you give me. Some, not so much, okay? But no, no I'm just kidding. Uh, unless We Pray. Todd Smith says, this is the enemy's plan as well. Let the church sleep because if, it's the co because if they discover the power of prayer, our dominance will be over. Church, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And I know sometimes when we wake up, it's really easy to roll over and go back to sleep. I, try, I, I almost did that this morning. My alarm went off at 4.45, and I get up, and it's quiet in our room. All the kids are in their room for one night. As you got kids with young kids, you kind of know. We had our own, uh, the room to ourselves, and Katie's over there, and she's peacefully sleeping. And I got all dressed, and it's like, it would be real easy for me just to take my clothes off and go back to bed. Anybody done that? How many hit the snooze? How many of you set your alarm so early that you've already played five snoozes into that play? <laughs> Two snoozes. Okay, you're better. But we want to go back to sleep, even when we're, we're woken up. But some of you, God is waking up, and you can't go back to sleep. Amen? He's waking you up. He wants to speak to you. He wants to download something. That's what he did to Solomon. He woke him up and spoke to him. He appeared to him at night. So sometimes if you can't sleep, it's not the pizza you ate the night before. Maybe it's his spirit saying, I want your time. I can, I can have your attention right now. Or will we roll over and go back to sleep? If my people. Todd Smith also in this book, Unless We Pray, compares the church to a volcano. And I'm going to take it just a little bit further. He talks about the four types of volcanoes. Extinct. This is one that's never going to erupt again. It's dead, and it has no lava su supply. Not a problem, no, no worry. It's big, it's out there, but it's powerless. Number two, there's a dormant one. They have lava deep down inside, but it hasn't erupted in a long time, but it's waiting for the perfect condition to erupt. Anybody old enough to remember Mount St. Helen in 1980? It was smoking, it was doing some things, it was burping a couple times. And people are like, yeah, it hasn't erupted in a while. But to their surprise, it did. And some people lost their lives. Number three is the active one. It has a history of erupting, and the likelihood of another eruption is probable, but it's alive and it has life. Church, I think that's what we are. 
were active. It's erupted before. And the likelihood that it could happen again. But I just don't want to be active. I want to be a volcano that's erupting, and that's the fourth type. These come in various sizes and impact, different moves of God, which like um, Kentucky there or, or Ashbury, where it takes over the whole nation. Then there's some that just take over a church or, or, or a community. They have different impacts. But I want to be one that, that, that just aren't, you know, if it's calm and God wants to do that, and we have vi different visitations and habitations of his presence, and it's good, but I want more. I want to be erupting so much that, that it's like a volcano that, that, that spews lava everywhere and causes earthquakes. I want God to move, not, not because he's in the earthquake or in the shaking, but I want his glory to have its way and to erupt. And I want us to erupt like that in our spirits. Are any of you being encouraged like that? So my question to you is the same question the Holy Spirit asked me is, what kind of praying volcano are you? Are you dead? Are you extinct? Are you dormant? You have supply down there, but you haven't tapped into it? Are you active? Hey, I had a history. I had a good prayer life. I remember spending time with the Lord, and he wake me up, and he do all this. I remember that, I remember that, and I remember that. That's good. Or are you erupting? Holy Spirit, come. These five things I want you to take this week, and I want you to pray with me and the church together. Because what we're doing this week is we're preparing ourselves for next Sunday. There's a slide there if you could put that up. Um, we also have some copies of these, because I know the slide probably a little small there. Um, some copies out in the foyer there that you could grab to take with you. But church, I want us to, to, to join together on this. Don't get too far ahead of me. Just kind of go with me on this. Number one, ask God to forgive us from drifting from him. Please wake us up, God. Wake up all of us. Ephesians 5, 14. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want the enemy to... Not just the enemy. I want all hell to be put on alert when you wake up. When your feet hit the ground, they're like, oh no, Anissa's up again. Oh no, Kevin's up again. And you begin praying, you begin seeking God. They, they were extinct, they, they weren't a problem before, but now, now they're tapping in to the, the, the power source. And something's happening to them. And now I gotta worry about them, says the enemy. I want you to worry the enemy so much. I don't want what, what I had to go through in that season, and I feel like I'm coming out of it, and so what some of you have gone through, and what some of you have been going through so much, I want it to be worth it. I want to rejoice in this suffering that, hey, there's a purpose in this, there's a purifying that's come out of this. God wants to visit us, and he wants to inhabit us. Number two, we pray for the... We pray for the leadership and all the church members. We pray for everybody. Who, who do we pray for? Everybody. Just the ones you like? Everybody. That we would grow increasingly dissatisfied with our current walk with God and cry out for more of Him. I want more. Psalm 63, 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I would rather spend one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Number three, God reveal to us anything in our lives that offends, grieves, or quenches your spirit and help us to be quick to repent. Guys, this is where we live. This is the bread and butter of what you think, what you act on, what you talk about, what you say when the filter's stuck. But how quick are we to repent 
and turn from that. Psalms 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. He's got help in this. Number four, as we seek your face, may, you, may your presence and glory increase in our services. Amen? When you come in here, I, I, I'm trying to get some signs put up above our doors. Awe and reverence for his presence. That when we walk in, if you need some sort of reminder, and I hope you do, but you, when you walk in here, we have awe and reverence for the presence of God. And whatever we bring, we can leave at the door knowing that we come in empty and he will fill us up. But if we come in with our, with our, 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 our oil and our, our sins and our attitudes and different things like that, it can't mix. And it takes the Holy Spirit to break that off up. And by the time that happens, the service is open. I want you to come in and I want you to receive everything he has for you from the get-go. Amen? Number five, Jesus, baptize us with your Holy Spirit with fire. Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Come, Lord Jesus. So I want, I want you to dive in and, and pray these things and any other things the Holy Spirit puts on you this week. Read these first seven chapters. If you want to go a little bit further and get all the way up to chapter 20, feel free to do that. Because next week I'm going to be getting into that. We're going to talk on some of the kings and, and, and just all the war and the lack of peace that they had during their times. But what happened to King Jehoshaphat when this vast army came against him? How many feel like a vast army is coming against you? How many feel like as a church body, a vast army has come against us at times? And his response is what I'm going to challenge us, our response should be. He called in the worshipers. So we're going to, we're going to get into this word on, on Sunday, excuse me, and then we're going to worship because we've got, we got a pretty good worship team. They sound as good as 20 or 120 blazing trumpets. They are going to lead us, but they aren't your cheerleader. Ra ra shishkumba, you can do it, you can do it. No, they aren't here to, to, to get you motivated. You get your heart motivated. You get your heart in the right place. When you come in, you enter into where they're already gone. Every Sunday. Man, I felt so bad for Eric the other week. He's up there and he's driving and people are, he's just so excited and going into it. And you, you look back and, and I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm not putting anybody down, but folks, are we the church? Do you feel the attack when you come here? Yes. The enemy wants to do anything he can to, to get you into the family of God into the presence of God, where you experience freedom, where you experience love, where you experience acceptance. And if you don't, then we're missing it, and we got to get better at that. But this should be the one place where all that is happening. They aren't your cheerleaders. They're your worship leaders. And so Jehoshaphat, he brought in the worship leaders. And then he called the church, he called the, the, the people to a three-day fast. And what the Lord said to him is that you can go to this, go to this area. I'm getting into my message. I'm not going to stop. But after the Lord downloads to him his plan, God's plan, and God does what he does, which is remarkable, then Jehoshaphat falls on his face and he bows down to his God and he begins to do what? Worship and praise the king for the deliverance. And then it, oh gosh, I'm, I'm preaching my message. I'm going to stop. So I, I want you to, will you pray with me this week? 
Do you want more? Do you not want to get caught up in these sidebars that happen where little chatters, little communications happen that just don't matter? And get on to the business of the glory of God being revealed in our lives, changing our hearts, changing the community, changing the world. Stand with me. This is why I believe God has asked me to call us as a congregation to a three-day fast. Esther did it when the plan was set out to annihilate a people. Jehoshaphat did it. There's others where God has done a three-day fast or something. We've done 21-day fast. We've done, some people have done 40. There's different things. I am asking you to ask God on what he wants you to fast. I know some of you have, have issues where you can't fast food and different things like that. I understand that. There's no condemnation here. I'm asking you to seek God and ask him, what do you want me to lay down as a replacement because I'm going to seek your face during this time. And we're going to have corporate times of prayer. We're going to have prayer Sunday night next week. We're going to have prayer Monday night next week. We're going to have prayer Tuesday night next week. And then we're going to get together and have worship night. Can we sacrifice those four days, beginning on Sunday to Wednesday, as a people, to hear from God for ourselves and our church? Who's with me? Can we do this? And I know some, you got schedules and different things like that. And if you can make it, great. If you can't, do it at your house. If you can hook up with some people at a coffee shop, just do it. It doesn't have to be here, but if you can be here, that would be great. But we are setting apart a time to focus on what God is saying to us, to repent and to pray, and to, and to, to starve ourselves in, in worldly things because we're hungry for him. He is our one thing. I'm asking him to wake us up. I'm asking him for the grace to reverse the church culture. I'm asking him to unite us in purpose. I'm asking him to heal our land. And I'm asking all of you to join me. It's just not the pastor doing this. It's not the pastor and the leadership team doing this. It's the church doing this. And if we're truly going to move forward together, will you join us in this? And I want you to seek God. And I want you to ask him to speak to you during this time. And most of all, Lord, will your glory come. So, Father, we just, just put yourself in a place of just offering your, yourself to him in a fresh way. Lord, I've been walking with you for a while. I've been walking with you a short time. Whatever your, your story, your journey is, if you feel him putting his nudge on you that I have more for you, I want to fill you with my glory. Will you just offer yourself to him right now where you're at? If you want to come up front and make an altar, the Israelites did that in the Old Testament. They made altars that when God... Uh, met them, encountered them. They made an altar for generations to see when they come back and said, what is that, Daddy? They would begin to tell them of what God did and how he met them. So the altar is open. But folks, I'm just asking you from everything that I have in my heart, will you join me to seek God for this church, for our people, and see if there's any wickedness in our ways? how we can repent from them, how we can turn from the wickedness, walk in forgiveness, and see your glory come. You are our one thing. So take a moment if you need to just ask for forgiveness. Take a moment right now. We're going to have the communion tables open next week. That any time during the service, if you need to come take communion, they're going to be open. They're going to be up here all week during the prayer times. But if you need to make yourself right or get yourself right, if you need to make yourself right with people, let's do it. Amen.
Lord bless you as you go as we sing this last song make it a prayer then after that you're free to leave and hang out in the foyer or come up here in the altar if you need prayer
just a little while longer and I'll be together. It's just a little while longer and I'll see you. It's just a little while longer and I'll know you. Just a little while longer and we'll be together. My soul sings. My soul sings. My soul sings. How I love you. My soul sings. My soul. Keep me here until we're 